0: This
1: is Multinew Media.
2: All right, so joining me today, Robin Coleman and Brian Smithers. These two folks—I I should have messed that up. I should have said Smithers just to pick on you a little bit. Uh, these two folks I have been working with at Full Sail University over the past what year or so now. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. we haven't seen each other in a few months, I guess, but uh, we've been working together on AR and VR and MR and, 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 and. So first of all, welcome to the show. How are you all doing today? Great. Thanks
1: for having us. Yeah, wonderful to be here.
2: So let's talk about um, what is your sense of AR and VR? And I asked that coming back to whatever episode number this is because – this ARVR is how this show started. Mark Christ, who is a TV host, he came on the the show and we were talking about it. He didn't come on the show for pu- publicity. We were just good friends. I don't know a lot of TV folks. Um, but what is the state of ARVR? What do you think of when you hear those terms? Just walk me through. Where are we at?
0: ARVR is like pornography, <laughs> in so far as. Uh, no one really knows how to define it, but everybody knows it when they see it. That's interesting. That's actually that's actually a a court definition of uh, of pornography. I Is mean, it famous one? Yeah.
2: So can we? So we're using that for a VR or so virtual reality, augmented reality, or the whole thing.
0: The whole thing. One of the things that we discovered in our in developing our research together is that people mean different things. And of course, Microsoft makes up their own term of mixed reality, um, which Cordy Ryerson justified very well, um, but almost no one else would be able to justify it the way that she does. Um, Does it, for example, does it really require a headset to be AR or VR? And no, it doesn't, but if you saw someone wearing a headset you'd say oh look it's virtual reality so i i think that in in terms of having the discussion you have to either specify exactly which aspect of it you're talking about are you talking about the immersive three-dimensional video and sound uh, are you talking about two-dimensional video with surround sound uh, are you talking about uh, uh, a completely virtual environment, or are you talking about virtual uh, elements overlaid on a, a physical camera environment? And, and there are so many variations on it that to talk about it as uh, a single entity is potentially dangerous. And that's why I kind of lead with the, the definitional issue as as something I think is still front and center in any discussion of mixed reality. I think that's
2: probably going to come up a lot uh, today. But before we transition over to Robin here for that introductory answer, I want to say that everyone... Uh, listening knows who you're talking about when you mentioned Cordy Ryerson because she is the Director of Mixed Reality at Microsoft, and she was on the show episode eighty two. Now, the reason that production note is so important is because if you're wondering how I hooked that interview, Robin, thank you for making the introduction between uh, myself and uh, and Cordy that um that was very uh, a fruitful introduction and we had a wonderful conversation. So if anyone's interested in that, you can go back to episode 82. But Robin, first of all, thanks for that introduction. And and, um, what are your thoughts? AR, VR, MR, 360, all of it, uh, all of the stuff that Brian was just laying out. What are your initial thoughts?
1: So I I feel like my perspective on it is a little strange, right? Like as, as someone who creates content for other people, I always try and think how is my experience with it different than the user's experience with it. And so for me, I think that's another layer that's really interesting. So for me, as somebody you know who's, who was a part of the first Oculus launch pad, who has stayed very close to people who are working every day in mixed reality, whether it's virtual reality or augmented reality or some blend of the two. Um, it seems like there are avenues that have been more fruitful And so, you know, the folks that I know who are working in um, virtual reality narrative experiences, I would say more more cinematic experiences, have seen great success. And, you know, they're going to Sundance and they're being accepted into other film festivals that are specifically targeting this new tech. I have other folks who are working, you know, in simulation where, again, these tools and techniques have been accepted use for quite some time. Um, just because of the the usefulness in really building that sense of training and the ability to repeat training in a real-world scenario. I think the side that I'm closest to that sadly seems to still be in this place where it's struggling is gaming Mm. with mixed reality. Um, So I I think that, again, thinking back to our poor consumer, um, there's not a ton that's consumer-facing for augmented reality yet Right. That's, that's good. Although, you know, the stuff that Magic Leap has released, inter- like little snippets. Have they
2: finally released anything, or is it all still promises? Because, um, again, and I've mentioned this several times in multiple circles, that it's all promises. And everyone's kind of resolved themselves to not hold their breath waiting on it.
1: So this week, <laughs> and and maybe some of your listeners will be aware, is the Game Developers Conference mm-hmm. out in uh, San Francisco. So. I would be very interested to see what what is going to come out of the sessions that have been offered this week. Um, I, I think we've gotten glimpses. I think you're right. I don't. Right. I don't think we've we've seen anything definitive yet.
2: I mean, as cool as it is to see a whale jump out of a basketball court at a high school, what does that really mean? Because Microsoft has done some wonderful um, pretend <laughs> show offs as well. Mm-hmm. Now. Uh, so with these opening introductions, right, with these opening position statements, rather, I think it makes sense to go into some introductions. Now let's go reverse order for a moment. Would you mind telling people who you are so that we can make sense of these viewpoints and these positions, or, or at least the initial definitions we've provided?
1: Sure. Um, so as Chase said, I'm Robin. I am the department chair for the Game Design Master of Science program at Full Sailor University. So I'm a game designer. Uh, my area of focus is creating uh, interactive media focused on more narratively driven experiences. So I'm very much interested in gaming as new storytelling medium. I do a lot of work in uh, educational games and games for change, uh, basically the idea that you can use interactive media to somehow make the world better than before your product existed.
2: Awesome. Go, go ahead, Brian. Try to top that. I got to follow that.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is why I don't do an intro. This is why I have the yeah. show, so I don't have it's to do to my own introduction. Get the final
0: word. Yeah. And you can dress it up as much as you want. Oh, lots of post production. In this context, <laughs> I my role is that I am the village idiot. <laughs> um, so, uh, but. Uh, That's my job. Don't take my I, job. I, <laughs> <laughs> they're fighting. Uh, I'm the a saxophonist idiot. and a recording engineer, and I lead the. Uh, Online audio production program here at Full Sale. So, uh, while I'm a nerd, I'm not a huge gamer. I'm a fan of all things that are, are cool and cutting edge. Um, but my take on it, uh, professionally has more to do with the, with the sound than with the game design or the, uh, um, or, or the, the graphic. Elements of it, but uh, so I come at it from a from that kind of perspective,
2: and I think that's a good difference. And and one of the things I should mention is that we were working on an AR VR project with Full Sail. Uh, one of our VPs over here at the university, Luis Garcia. And we were looking at, even though this, you know, our episode's not talking about necessarily what we found, all of that. We'll, we'll keep that all for the university, right? We'll, well, we'll give we'll give them that. But we're coming together because we were looking at AR and VR for um, some of our outreach programs, especially with youth. And, you know, since, since multi-new media here has a history with AR and VR, I, I do feel like it's time to check the pulse on this technology again. It's been four years or so. Plus or minus um, since I've really given it thought outside of the university. So I feel – I'm going to make a position statement on my own here and then then I guess we can fight over it or agree or go go get beers over it and bond over it, whatever. I kind of feel like ARVR has had a very monumental fizzle out. Um, not fizzle out, but in, in the sense of, you know, Oculus was all the rage and then Vive and then, you know, Microsoft was doing this long play with HoloLens, but we have yet to see a version two of HoloLens. We have, you know, I mean, all of these OEM partners for Windows come out with holographic stuff, but it's just, you know, kind of low-end VR headsets. AR kit on Apple, right, I can keep listing, right? Microsoft, Apple, Google, all of their, their efforts. Am I right or wrong or just not thinking about this the right way when I feel like we're in a stagnant part for AR-VR?
0: I thought I was just looking through the list of, of panels at GDC and saw a lot of attention being paid to AR and VR.
1: And that's what I was going to say, is I feel like the entertainment companies... Are putting a lot of time and money and mm-hmm. attention, but is it being matched by how the consumer base is actually responding to that time and money? And that's where yeah. I feel like
2: it's nothing. I mean, just crickets. I'm okay, not crickets, but you know, mealworms or something.
1: I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a healthy niche. I think for me, it still goes back to and here's my position, if I have one, it's cost. Even when Oculus dropped the price, you're looking at $399 for a headset, comes with some hand controllers. I don't remember if those are extra or not. I don't think they are. But then I still need a $2,000, at least $2,000 machine to run that tech. The average consumer is comfortable buying a Nintendo Switch at $299, right? And so now we're asking them to make more than 10 times the investment to buy this virtual experience Often without a chance to try it first. Yeah, oh yeah. And so I, I think they're understandably gun-shy. So I think the question for me is, can these industries that are, are really trying to, to push and, and expand the, the venues through which people enjoy mixed reality, can they last while we're waiting for the tech to get inexpensive enough that more people will adopt it?
2: That's a big question. And you mentioned to me off-air at one point, what is it? One in 10 people or something get motion sickness from this and can't handle the, even the current high-end virtual reality.
1: It's really common. It is It is so much easier to make someone sick than to keep what we call in, in the trade people comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. we try trying not to use the word nauseous or vomit <laughs> as much as we can avoid it. So can oh, we nice. maintain comfort in these virtual spaces? for me the answer is almost universally no Mm. i love this stuff i'm fascinated by it i love to design content for it and they call me the canary in the mine shaft because it is Mm. so easy to make me sick really quickly and so yeah there are things we know i will say we've learned a ton in the last four years about maintaining comfort and things not to do but it's still a huge conversation all the time um how much movement is necessary, how much movement can they get away with. And it, it does require, especially for the gaming side, really rethinking just the the foundations of what gameplay is supposed to be. When you when you can't, you know, kind of take control of the camera and direct gaze, when you can't have somebody just freely running around an environment because in reality they're sitting in a chair.
2: Yeah, and and Brian, what about the sound component? Is there are you familiar with any research or any just experience that does surround sound and 3D sound? Does that change somebody's perception of the environment they're in or the content they're listening to or engaging with? What what's
0: the effect on people in terms of sound? Well, the effect of immersive sound is dramatic. I mean, to the point where um The most common, truly immersive environment that we have is a flat screen with surround sound Uh, and, you know, countless gamers have headphones with uh, surround built into them Mm -hmm. so that they get uh, a a truly immersive surround experience. So if someone comes up from behind them, it sounds like someone's coming up from behind them. They can't see them on screen. Uh, without you know rotating the screen virtually, which is really a weird abstraction, but they can actually hear them really coming up from behind them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now with the the advent of things like Atmos, uh, they can hear things that are flying overhead as well. So the the level of immersiveness uh, is only getting better and better. Now Atmos does that. Add
2: is—is this um, processed with software, or does it add a channel overhead, or what's what's going on there? So I've heard about it, but I'm not very familiar with the specs.
0: So the basic notion behind Atmos is that it is scalable from mono to near infinite numbers of speakers. Wow! Um, So So we could use this
2: down the road at the theme parks. We could use this on you know. Nature drive tours, you know, through rhino preserves or yes. I'm
0: making stuff up now, obviously. And the and the, the way like, that they do that is by making uh, certain sound events, uh, sound responses, object-based so that you can identify it by its position in 3D space. And then if that means that you have to balance it between two physical speakers to make it sound like it's coming from in between uh, them... Which is the classic stereo phantom image, yeah. phantom center that we call it, um, uh, or if you happen to have a speaker that's right there, then you assign it to that speaker, and the the software does this automatically on playback. Um, feature films are being mixed commonly in Atmos these mm-hmm. days. It's the it's the format that they actually are are mixing for in a lot of cases, and then they. Um, scale it back. They do like a, a remix of that in, um, not that kind of remix. In, uh, they remix it for 7.1 and 5.1, the more tra- traditional yeah. theater surround sound formats. But by scalable, I mean that if you have happened to have a theater installation that has, uh, dozens of speakers, then it will assign them appropriately to the right speaker or combination of speakers to put it as close to that point in 3D space as that object was originally assigned. You bring it into your That's cool. You bring it into your living room where you have uh, a 5.1 um, Atmos system with two upward firing ceiling channels, then it will redistribute the the sound between those speakers and the, the upward-facing ceiling channels in order to give the best emulation of that point in space that your living room can.
2: What? Okay, I need I need this now. I See, I've heard the name. I haven't been paying attention to it. But I, I guess I wonder when, when we look at the immersive environments, because it's not all about video. It's not all because we have augmented reality where it's not enough mm-hmm. just to take a hologram or an image and slap it on a wall. But I wonder if we took the highest frame rate we can get mm-hmm. and we put... best quality sound and we put maybe even a fan on somebody directly for you know we know that helps with motion sickness and seasickness to some degree does the does do any of the people drop out of being not comfortable does anybody say oh you know if you do these things if we get a high enough resolution if we get the immersive sound then my brain is easier to trick
1: so here's here's the funny part of that right is our brains are easy to trick. And so what you might have occur is what I call a break in the magic circle. And the magic circle is this gaming concept, uh, game theory concept, that basically postulates that when we are in the space of playing a game, there's some part of us that is aware of the fact that it is just a game, and we're willing to take on the rules that are unique to that game, but that they don't apply in the real world. So what happens, and, and it's you know it's happened here on campus with with visitors we've had come in and utilize air and VR equipment is that we trick the brain so well, you react as if something (laughs) were real. So you put a woman who maybe, for example, is wearing high heels in a simulation where she's standing on a two by four that is jutting out of the side of a building, hundreds of feet in the air. And you watch her start to try and correct her balance, even though she's standing flat on the ground and she's perfectly (laughs) safe.
2: I mean, I do that if I close my eyes and I'm standing on firm ground.
1: <laughs> and, she, and she fell right over. Oh, wow. And so the, the brain, you know, wonderfully has this capacity to be tricked, but it does leave me wondering, what are the ethical implications of that? And I think that's one of the areas of this really deeply immersive tech we don't talk about enough <laughs> is what does it mean if we can trick someone into really feeling and thinking as if something is real?
2: That's that's interesting. Now, without going so far down that path to start talking about potential abuses or potential um, uh, misuse of the technology, I, I think related to that, however, is what about everything other than gaming? I mean, this is one of the areas that we spent a lot of time over the past year or so together trying to figure out, is this only a gaming technology or – you know, I, I know we know that NASA is using it and engineering firms are using it and we've got video conferencing happening in augmented reality and all sorts of dog ears on Snapchat and every other photo filter. <laughs> but is that it? Are we looking at highly um, specialized engineering disciplines and, and Snapchat filters or is there anything in between that we can hit? Um, I don't even want to preload that question with suggestions but
0: is this gaming? Okay, I have absolutely no information on that. I just have a hope. I hope that one of those avenues is just abstract visual art. And hopefully... Oh, that'd be great. And hopefully abstract visual and sonic art.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's happening.
2: Now, the Dali Museum in, um, in St. Yes. Petersburg, uh, they had an exhibit recently that had, uh, I believe it was Oculus. It was. And I have I have to admit i I love the work of Salvador Dali, but I've never been like a lot of Floridians are just this die hard you know, like I get it, I like it, but experiencing the work, of course, it was translated by other artists into three d but experiencing that work in three d I have a passion for that man's work, unlike I ever would have now, just standing there and seeing those elephants the tall elephants and looking at these surreal empty landscapes just changed my worldview.
1: Yeah. And, and I think there's two pieces to that, right? Like there's a transformative experience. Cause I've gone to that exhibit as well and seeing people of all ages, mm-hmm. be so struck and seeing them twisting in their chairs and, and just really <laughs> trying to take in everything that you could possibly yeah. see in that space. This was wonderful. And then there's the other side of it that, you brought up theme parks and we kind of skipped over. I think theme parks are are one of the places where we could have a tremendous adoption of mixed reality tech. But then I think hygiene. (laughs) (laughs)
2: And and that was, we we spoke, um, you know, (laughs) I... um a couple of my friends uh one in particular a uh, buddy of mine at universal and so when we were working on our project i called um a, a few people at universal and we spoke about that and they directly confirmed that suspicion of yours they you know they told us that the problem we have in this is how do we wipe down the headsets in between use and still maintain churn still maintain um whatever their industry term is that i, I should know this like the back of my hand and i'm forgetting at the moment i'm just blanking but how do we the the capacity essentially how do we meet capacity and that yeah i don't yeah i, I want it to be clean
1: exactly <laughs> and and we're not in a place where this is a disposable phenomenon right like right. you're not going to slap everybody in a google glass and give them the same experience as if you put an HTC Vive or an Oculus on their head and so then you know how do you discreetly clean things in between and and maybe you do a rotation um But then also, you know, there's breakage. What happens when the five-year-old, honestly, a five-year-old shouldn't even be using the tech, and that's another issue. But when the kid fumbles and it drops on the ground, the lenses crack.
2: So by kid, you're being nice and saying, "What happens when Chase gets a hold of it?" And, and I'm it- <laughs> also super clumsy. What happens when Robin
1: butterfingers it onto the ground and it smashes into a million pieces?
2: That's yeah. I'm, I'd feel more comfortable with the kid holding it than, than
1: else. I mean, they <laughs> do these have have reflexes.
2: <laughs> have you seen me in a in a in a lab? It's not it's not pretty. I mean, I I had to I had to take chemistry before college. I had to take it in high school so that my my district would pay for all of the broken flasks and beakers and everything else. I knew every time I go into lab, I break something. But So it's not just gaming. Where do the arts factor into this? The silence is telling. I know this is something we've struggled with and here I'm kind of being the jerk because we were a three-person team and here I am interviewing you about it, removing myself from that equation. But that silence, I, I have the same silence.
0: Where does well, art factor in? I'll it be, should. I'll be a jerk right back and say that it's, it's, it's obvious. It's not a mystery. It's, it's extremely obvious how the arts factor in. To the extent that this becomes something worth investing effort in for the, for the longevity of your creative efforts and not just throwaway, um, it is a natural palette for artists to expand into and some will and some won't and it'll be like any other tool it'll be like digital photography uh, and the sort of manipulation that photographers were able to do there was a time when uh, a lot of photographers eschewed all digital tools and some few were doing wonderful things with it and others were turning up their nose at it and now it's almost impossible to find uh, photographers who are are not using digital tools at least for part of their work uh, it 's entirely possible that this will for visual and sonic artists become de rigueur, mm-hmm. uh, or it may mm. be something that simply dies on the vine. I mean to be honest, surround sound in terms of just recorded media yeah. in terms of mixing records has died repeatedly. It died with quadraphonic sound back in the, in the seventies. Uh, it, uh, tried and tried with DVD and DVD audio and SACD and died in the early two, early to mid two thousands. Um, maybe this is (laughs) the next opportunity for surround sound, uh, music to die.
2: And we, we always do come back to surround
0: sound, don't we? You've just opened my eyes about that. Well, let's go back to the change from mono to stereo sound. Stereo sound was originally seen as a gimmick by people who were the, the hi-fi snobs of monoral sound. And there became a point when people like me who think that mono, which can sound brilliant, is just a really unacceptable abstraction mm. because it's, it's not the way you hear. You have two ears, you hear in stereo. So to put something in mono is to make it abstract. Now, to put some, some photograph in black and white is also unnatural and abstract, yet it can be beautiful. But if we wanna talk about the way we actually hear, we don't hear in mono, We really don't even hear in stereo. We hear in surround sound. So it is, from my view, absolutely indisputable that surround sound is a more natural format for recording and mixing music and any other type of sonic art. Whether it's worth the trouble to people who are used to plugging earbuds into their phone and sharing one earbud with their friends so <laughs> nobody is actually hearing the complete mix to begin with I, I, it's kind of hard to fight that kind of a mindset mm-hmm. and say you ought to sit still in a room surrounded by appropriate speakers at appropriate distances mm. and listen to this record from beginning to end which i do all the time
1: yeah but what a lovely luxury yeah. right to have access to the tools and the tech um, I would love to have, you know, an amazing setup and an all vinyl collection, and I just, I spend my money on other things because I need to stay relevant in my industry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I And it's funny because the same rise and fall that you chart in surround sound is the rise and fall that's happened in virtual reality. VR's been around for a long time. It's, Virtual boy right <laughs> and, and even earlier even earlier and, and yeah. what's happened is the technology's gotten smaller and cheaper and smaller and cheaper and smaller and better and, cheaper and better right until so we get to the point where we are now, where yet again we're going, is this the time yeah will will it actually grab a foothold, but I agree totally about the idea of it's so clear to me how artists can utilize these tools. I think that you know. I think for a lot of reasons it always comes back to feasibility with me on a cost level that I might, as an artist, begin with, you know, acrylics because acrylics are cheaper than oils. And as I have proven my skill set and I want to experiment in a more demanding medium, I might have a patron who would support me or scholastically be supported to try using oils and, and see which one is a better fit for my artistry or like I love Chihuly, the the glass Mm, water. Yes. He makes these amazing sculptural experiences that are still bound to the limits of glass and gravity. And now we have, they're out there. We have someone who is going to move past what is possible in the physical and create these amazing things in the virtual space. If Making it access to the tools and the technology and the training that's necessary to be able to use them.
2: And so maybe we don't have to define what it is. Maybe it doesn't have to be a video game or a, a tour or this, that, or the other. It just is this thing. It is this immersive, the killer application can rise out of the technology itself potentially.
0: Yes, and it absolutely can. My question is to what extent the audience is going to be content to continue to put a heavy thing on their face and wear it to yeah. experience that.
2: Well, and you have, an, you have something else also talking about audio technology, right? We're perfectly content as human beings to hear something and know it's behind us. We don't feel the need to look at everything behind us. If you hear maybe a family member talking behind you, you can still drive the car and go, yeah, I, great. But to see there is this active requirement to turn around if you can hear but you can't tell who it is maybe you know you're on a long drive everybody in the family's asleep but somebody's talking in the back seat who's awake but we have to turn around to see that well there's something beautiful about movies and television and this flat screen whether it's 3d or not i love 3d everybody else in the world hates it but whether it whether it is or not there's this thing of if we bring our eyes Right. If we do the same thing with sound or with vision that we've done with sound, now I have to look around, and I can't have a truly passive experience. And I think that's where a lot of people, especially in film, in storytelling, other than video games, where you know it may be more acceptable to be more active, we we have trouble getting people to do that as well too. But it's a lot easier to move your thumb (laughs) and and change your point of view. Which maybe that's part of the answer. I don't know. But I guess what I'm saying is that there is a a technical difference between sight and sound and that alters this equation. But uh, the the training, the training, the access to training. Let's say I'm a a Mm 15-year-old. I always like to put these scenarios out. Sometimes I'm a business owner. Sometimes I'm a 10-year-old. Let me be 15 today because I'm in high school. Let's Mm -hmm. paint that picture. I have... The technical competencies to where I understand these mediums and could get started with them, but I don't know where to begin did we Did we find anything as a part of our research to where we could lead these people, these young people and give them some hope that yes, you can get involved in this you don't have to if you maybe you can go buy a four five six hundred dollar headset, but if you can't find their opportunities what what's out there
1: so there are a lot compared to even five years ago. There are a lot more f- things that are free now for amateurs and students related to the technological needs of creating for mixed reality than there were before. So, two of the big major game engines, Unity and Unreal, are free as long as you're not making, I think it's more like a 100 grand in profit, which is probably not. I mean, if you're 15 issue. and making
2: 100 grand in profit, cool. Just then get an accountant or exactly. talk yeah. to yeah. your parents. Get a, get a, yeah, get, a, yeah.
1: And so, that's that's the coding side, which in our our research, as we've been talking about, we found was the biggest barrier to entry, right? But at the same time, you have the visual side of this mm-hmm. medium, right, which is the creation of art assets. And I think the coolest tool that we found was Sketchfab, free. Three d modeling suite that allows you to push stuff in,
2: yeah, with the community tool so you can share with others, yeah, and we all know that the big companies are chasing after that, but it seems to be these kind of independents that have really done it,
1: yeah, and you you know your blender, that's a good three d modeling software. Maya has a free version for students.
2: Wonderful. Blender. We looked a lot at Blender, and there's a. I just, as being not just a, a university instructor, but also as a corporate trainer, I can tell you when when I follow the trends, when I do my analytics of what are the courses that people want right now, what's in demand. I almost wish I you know had that proficiency, and maybe I'll go out and get it so that I can help people at a, a base level of proficiency, but I can't right now. And and Blender is one of those. On every single platform that I find, on every corporate training institute that deals with this stuff, Blender is a hot topic right now. So if you're interested in 3D modeling, if you're interested in creating the virtual worlds, even if you don't have a headset, Blender may be a way to go just to learn to do the 3D modeling.
1: Mm -hmm. And I would say, too, for young people, again, I think that 15-year-old, right, who want to, to be able to share something that they've created that has a level of of quality that is similar to things that they would pay for. Modding is a great way Mm -hmm. to break into that, right? So you look at, you know, maybe a game that has pushed into having a virtual reality component that also offers a modding suite, and then you can utilize that in order to create something that has Anything off the
2: top of your head or...
1: You know, I always think of Skyrim... That's because
2: that's what I was thinking. And and I didn't want to come for me. I don't play a lot of video games. That was one of my video games. Right. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to pull. That's about seven years old now. So I didn't want to pull something that I know I'm associated with. And people go, oh, he's just talking about the same old one. But as soon as you said modding, right, I was Mm -hmm. thinking any of my sim building games like City Skylines or even SimCity to a smaller degree Skyrim um, aren't. What's the um, one where you kick the ball around with the vehicles? Isn't that being modded uh, now? Rocket League. Yes, isn't Rocket yeah. League being
1: modded? Yeah. Yeah,
2: that's another one that I think is fairly popular. And
1: there are a lot. So I, I think the key is you just have to do a little research. Minecraft? Yeah, right? And, and, I mean, again, I don't know how much research has been done on this, but I would be really interested to see in a, a lower fidelity, in a lower fidelity visual setting, right? Like Minecraft it can be demanding in terms of processing power depending on the size of your creation Mm. but if you keep your size modest maintaining a good frame rate that 90 you know 90 frames a second that we'd say is kind of ideal shouldn't be that hard and it's it's modular so even a younger kid would be able to build kind of you know if you think of like um what is it google blocks yeah um kind of in the same vein um yeah I, i think i think the opportunities are there i think the key is you know, and this will change generationally, but right now we're dealing with a generation of kids whose parents aren't necessarily savvy in these technologies. Whereas, you know, when I was a kid and I wanted to learn how to draw, I'd go to my dad and go like, Dad, you can draw well. Help me draw better. How do
2: you draw a giraffe?
1: Exactly. Right.
2: Now I was like, hey, how do you model a 3D world? And, I don't know, kid, go right, away. And parents <laughs> are
1: like, uh, um, I don't know. Did you try Googling it?
2: Like, yeah, and unfortunately, <laughs> we still have the old mentality. Sometimes if you... Are from our generation or any generation in the past, and you ask, "Well, how do I draw?" You know, this animal or this building. You might be told, "There's no money in that. Don't do that." Right. And I think that we also are looking at a generation now that may be told, "Oh, video games or virtual reality." (laughs) Or I mean, this is stuff we we work with, so we know that there's money involved. But there's still that perception of, "Oh, you can't you can't make money in the movies, kid."
1: Well, and and now you know it's like. I I think, like, my spouse watches um, Drawing with Jazza, who's this, like, Australian guy. He's never seen this, but now I
2: have to check it out.
1: It's very corny, but he's this huge audience base that watches him draw, and he does contests where other people submit their work. So now, you you know, you can take on a career path that people were traditionally told you you don't make any money and open up a YouTube channel and right. suddenly,
2: you know, make your fortune. Then, yeah, that's, we'll save that for another, that's a lot more work than you just painted it as, but, but that is the perception out there and and you can, there, that track is available, but well, let's see, you're going to be working just as hard, if not harder oh, than absolutely. someone. There's a lot yeah. of
1: work and there's a lot yeah. of luck, which people don't like to talk about, but, but it's reality and timing is important too.
2: Right. And and more and more, we, we've cracked more of the code to where we can get you there. Even if there's no luck, we can get you to a maybe not the million and a half subscribers, yeah. but somewhere yeah, you can make a living. So Brian, what about audio? If somebody's saying, look, maybe it's not the visual side of it. Maybe it's not the game side of it. I want to start making some 3D videos or do some audio. I know I was always really into um, the binaural audio, right? Doing all the, the wave encoding and I know very little, but I always loved it. So, um, Where do people get to start in these fields?
0: Uh, surround sound production is built into most modern digital audio workstations. Um, things like Pro Tools and Logic and, and Cubase, all these things pretty much have it built in. In terms of actually being able to hear the output if you don't have uh, surround speakers, uh there are some solutions available one of them that occurs to me that's pretty cost effective is um uh ircam ircam the the french uh, audio research entity um actually has a a plugin that runs in pro tools and logic that takes your s- discrete surround sound channels and does a psychoacoustic encoding to allow you to experience them on normal headphones that's pretty that's, neat. Yeah, that is Yeah. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. Uh, uh, Unity and or Unreal have similar technology built into their audio engines. Uh, so that if you're, if you've got a, uh, game that's got surround playback, it will play back in normal stereo headphones. So there are some options out there, uh, to do that. So if you created, you know, a 360 video, 360 video is more difficult because you would need the audio to respond, which means you've got that object-based model like uh, Sony Atmos, and that is harder to do certainly at any reasonable cost. Yeah, newer mm-hmm. proprietary
2: technology. Yeah. I'm sure we'll see some innovative developers coming up with something soon, or there maybe there's something out there that that's sort of in the um, the programming world we may not know about to get a facsimile of it, but but. Um, it seems like a couple of good suggestions here on how we can start everything from the graphic side with Blender and Maya to game development, Unreal and Unity. Um, the audio side, uh, you, you mentioned almost any any DAW seems to have that technology in. Uh, video editing suites. I've noticed even the ones that that are prosumer, you get you know dollars 100, 150 dollars. everything from Corel to Avid to whoever else seems to have 360. Editing these days and some have 3D, but not not everybody. We're not talking about VR 3D we're talking about. So but but a lot of those. So whether I think that's the step as you figure out, are you into the video side? Are you into the modeling side? Are you into the game and the storytelling? Are you into the audio? And with that, I'll say, I'm sure I forgot something because we've had a long journey here from we worked on a project we uh that serendipitously overlapped with my podcast here where I, we started about AR and VR and we've we've gone through what it means to be AR VR 360 multi uh, multiple uh, MR mixed reality to all of these things to finally what some action steps are that we can take if we want to move forward with this what am I forgetting
1: So one thing that popped in my head as we were talking earlier uh, was specifically related to cinematography, traditional cinematography, and the fear effect of losing control over gaze, losing Mm. control over where your user is going to be paying attention, which in a traditional film, you know, we do all these lovely edits and cuts and we pan and we zoom and we control how you experience that, that narrative moment. Steven Spielberg, who I have a lot of respect for, a few years ago... A little bit
2: of credibility there. Right, just a tad.
1: (laughs) Um, A few years ago made a statement that that virtual reality was actually dangerous because of the lack of control Mm. and how much it could potentially change what audiences expect from visual experiences. I think there's room for both. People still go to the theater and people watch movies and well, people play games and watch television shows. I, I think there's room for traditional cinematography. Like, there's times when I want that controlled experience. Yes. And room for mixed reality experiences. But it is different. Um, but I will say, a lot of the psychological techniques that we use in games to control the player and get them going where we want them to go also work in VR.
2: <laughs> yeah, you have a point there, and I, not, not to make this run long, but it's, I think it's really worth stating. I was never a gamer because I would get lost in the virtual world, uh, whether it was a platformer and you had to remember which way to go. If you had the two directional platformers, and heaven forbid, you're on a top-down top, top down view, something like Zelda, lost. And then um, 007, remember when FPSs yeah. were becoming popular. I couldn't play. I, I would always lose because I couldn't remember the map. But then, to to tell how addicted I was to it. Skyrim changed that for me. I still to this day have memories of being, you know, somewhere in that game as if I were there. Right. I'll walk through maybe one of the theme parks down the road and they have similar landscaping at, you know, this castle or that castle. All of them have castles now for some reason. So right, I'll be at one of these places, I'm like, I feel like I'm in Skyrim right now. <laughs> or I'll see mountains Sometimes I'll see mountains and I feel it. Like... so I you're right. I think there's definitely room for all of it. Now there is one way there's, there's only one way to end this episode. And Brian earlier, you said that I have the podcast so that I can get the last word. Good, sir. It is up to you to have the last word today because it can't be mine.
0: I have no words to, <laughs> to wrap this up satisfactorily because as I said at the beginning, I am actually the village idiot in this company. Uh but we all are. Has, well, no, has, not Robin, just <laughs> you and me. <laughs> <laughs> it's been enlightening and and terribly enriching enriching for me to uh, undergo this journey with the two of you. and uh, i'm I'm much better for it. I hope some of that has uh, has served your listeners a little bit.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.